And welcome to What Is My Podcast About. This is a podcast where on a fortnightly basis we get together and discuss a random topic to see if that might be what our podcast is about. My name as always is Keith Ramsey and I am joined by Peter Akerley. So how's your week been? Uh, it's been uh, going pretty well. I uh, I'm a little under the weather last night, but or not last night, this morning. Uh, but it's nothing too serious. Definitely not the good old COVID. Uh, so I'm doing well. How about you, Matt? That one just felt awkward. That one did feel awkward. Uh, let's just uh, uh, let's get out ahead of this and fucking address the elephant. Uh, Matt is currently uh, well. You know what they say: life happens. Uh, for Matt, life is happening too much right now. Uh, so he does not have the free time available to him to continue recording the podcast. Uh, we both told him that's not a good enough excuse. This is more important than the rest of his life, uh, and he kind of. He got real serious with us and laid down the law and told us that this is just a fun thing we do together as friends, and if we're going to try and make it serious, then we can fuck right off. So Matt stood up to us, which was very – made me proud. Uh, but no Matt for the short future, and hopefully uh, he'll forgive us and come back in the future. Yeah, uh, you know, just standard work stuff, so he'll be back at some point. But uh, for now, uh, the podcast format on a weekly basis – or biweekly basis – fortnightly if you will will be a bit different until he gets back so for for today you're stuck with just me and keith um i'm sure you're all very disappointed in that <laughs> uh, i know matt was my favorite part of the podcast um in the future who knows that, that might you might not be stuck with just me and keith uh you'll definitely get matt back eventually but uh we're working things out right now <laughs> and figuring out what's the best course to go forward with the podcast while matt's unavailable if you want Matt back, there'll be a trial. Trial by combat. You'll need to solve the three riddles. And also kill a man. But that's the price. And by a man, I mean me or Keith, because we're the ones keeping Matt on the podcast. <laughs> Jesus, this, this just went down a fucking rabbit hole. I, I don't know why keep, I made it so antagonistic. Yeah, you're the one that keeps fighting. making it dark. Yeah. Matt's just busy with work, and yet I needed to add conflict to the podcast, so I made it sound like we're fighting with Matt currently. It's not what it is. Matt's one of our best friends. We're not fighting with him. He's just busy with work, but I need there to be an enemy in my life for me to have uh, concrete goals. So I've made Matt the enemy, and it's <laughs> a real shitty thing that I'm doing, and I feel bad about it. Yeah, for all of you listen, uh, I know we don't put any photos out, but Matt is the most muscular one of the boys. Uh, so uh, he definitely would probably be both of us in a fight. There's no keeping him down between the two of us. Not only is he the most muscular, he has a fucking black belt. If he wanted to kill us, he could absolutely kill us. All right. Oh, fuck. Um, so the Game Awards happened. <laughs> yeah, the Game Awards happened. <laughs> that was a fun time. Uh, a couple uh, upsets, I'd say. Nothing, like, crazy. Um, it Takes Two, uh, one game of the year, which I was very happy with. I played through It Takes Two, and it was a very positive experience for me. Yeah, it was emotional. a very good game. Uh, a lot like going through therapy. There's a scene where uh, you, as two parents 
destroy your child's favorite stuffed animal in order to make her cry, which is a little fucked up, but uh, I no, think uh, I believe that's just standard parenting, from what I understand about it. Yeah, that's how my parents chose to raise me. Nope, I gotta stop creating false narratives. Nope, uh, <laughs> my mother was a very loving person. My father was. That's just how life was. All right, cool. Moving on. <laughs> um, so uh, we got a few. Uh, interesting announcements here uh some new things that are coming out uh one of which both you and i mentioned was star wars eclipse which looks odd it, but intriguing i yeah it's one of those games where i can tell nothing about what the game is going to be because it looked like it was all just cinematics for the most part in the trailer in fact it was entirely cinematics uh so for one thing it looks like it takes place during the high republic so it's not the kotor years but it's kind of during yoda's era before uh Anakin came along and ruined everything. Um, and it's uh, it's looking like it's going to be a fun game. Uh, we know very little about it, uh, other than it's a game set in the Star Wars universe that presumably follows a Jedi, but not a Jedi that we know. Might not be a Jedi, who knows. I'm just making estimations at this point. But I have high hopes for it, because uh, a lot of Star Wars games as of late barring a couple, have been very good. Like uh, Fallen Order. Fallen Order was a spectacular game. Yeah, and uh, this one, uh, as mentioned too, is one of the I think one of, if not the first game to like be narrative-based within the High Empire period, which is the Clone Wars and all that. Yep. At least one that hasn't retreaded the information we already know from what they're saying. Yeah, it's not going to be a retelling of the Skywalker saga. It's going to be a separate story that presumably predates the Skywalker saga uh, and uh, involves following some characters we maybe know a little bit less about. Uh, another interesting one, this is one I was very excited for, uh, was Alan Wake 2 was announced. Yep. Uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, I was less excited about that. Not that I don't think it's going to be a good game, it just wasn't one of the ones that particularly tickled my fancy. That's fair. I enjoyed the Alan Wake game, it just it wasn't the top of my list of games. Yeah, after Alan Wake and Alan Wake American Nightmare, uh, this is definitely a game I've been waiting for, and Remedy, the company behind it, has even stated they would like to go back to the Alan Wake uh, storyline, but because Alan Wake didn't do too well commercially until after the fact, it sold well later in life, not at the beginning. Uh, they didn't know it was something people wanted until they had already moved on to other projects. So it's nice to see that they were able to finally come back to it because they seem to really like this one. And they've even stated like the first game was more action based, and this one is planned to just go like all into the horror aspect. And that actually does intrigue me a lot because, as you said, the first one being more action based uh, is what it is. But the idea of going an Alan Wake game that leans fully into the horror actually sounds quite exciting. I wonder if they'll get the Duracell seal, uh, deal back. Oh, that was actually pretty fucking cool. The fact that the batteries you used to charge your flashlight were specifically Duracell brand batteries. Yeah, it was pretty much your ammunition was Duracell through that whole game. Yeah. Uh, because uh, your flashlight had, like, normal mode, and it also had weapon mode where it would defeat the shadow monsters. And that just chewed through batteries. Almost feels like that would be a bad branding for your fucking <laughs> flashlight brand. Is In this game, the flashlight will be very powerful. But the batteries will last, like, maybe 10 seconds at max power. Cool, <laughs> sign us up! We want to be known as the battery that dies in 10 seconds in a life-or-death situation. 
But what's that in a dangerous situation? Better hope the batteries don't go out. Buy Duracell. They go out. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, another game uh, that we, once again, got very little information about, but I found quite intriguing, was uh, Nightingale. The one where it's, uh, like, traveling between different worlds and also has some base building and cooperative harvesting slash fighting giants. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a Victorian aesthetic steampunk thing going on. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was weird, or not weird, but uh, cool about it was, unlike other base building games like, say, Seven Days to Die, where you're fighting the same variety of monster every time you play, from the looks of this one, there was like a whole bunch of different worlds you can go to, and different worlds had different like enemies that you'd be fighting. So it's probably not completely randomly generated and random, but there are probably different uh, like world types that have different types of enemies that you'd fight in different resources that you're trying to harvest. So it looks uh, pretty fucking cool based off that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not into that type of game more often than not, but this one looked interesting enough that I'm definitely keeping an eye on it, and I might jump onto it. Yeah. Uh, so that one definitely actually looks pretty fucking cool. At least to me. Um, I can understand why it wouldn't to others. Uh, what else was announced? I got more information. Uh, uh, there's Splitting Heads. Splitting Heads. I don't remember that one. That was that uh, weird, like, uh, Tokyo, like, game where it's like the head broke oh, open into right, a bunch of... Oh, the Hideo of... Kojima one? Yeah. That... No, this, I don't think this was Kojima. I think it was just uh, for people that worked on Silent Hill. Uh, yeah, sorry. It wasn't actually made by Hideo Kojima. But they made a lot of references to Hideo Kojima's uh, Boken studio during the opening trailer. Um, yeah, so that one also is another one that we know very little about based off the trailer, but uh, looks uh, fascinating. We got more uh, information. I mostly mentioned this one because I know Matt was excited for it. Uh, not that I think it looks bad. It's just this was absolutely a game Matt was looking forward to. Uh, for Spoken, uh, yeah. we got another trailer for that one, which is the Isekai video game where you go from Earth to a different world and have a whole bunch of magic powers there. But everyone thinks you're the demon because you don't fit in their world. Um, the trailer actually made it look pretty fucking cool with the different stuff that you are capable of doing and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's definitely a game I'm interested in seeing how it goes, but again, it's one of the situations where it's not really a game I tend to play a lot of. Yeah, it's in a similar boat for me. I will probably follow it, but I don't know if I'll buy it right away. Uh, and uh, it's time for our annual coin flip with this one, but we also got Sonic Frontier, which is an open-world Sonic game which seems to have bosses roaming the overworld. So, uh, we kind of watch party the... Uh, uh, game awards with a couple of our friends uh and one of them brought up the like fatal flaw of any open world sonic game which i am nervous about this game once again it is a coin flip they could very possibly end up being a good game but the big thing about sonic games is you're supposed to go fast but for an open world exploration and puzzle solving game you kind of need to go slow to fully uh absorb the entire environment so it I am nervous that this one is going to be another one of those juxtapositions of the character wants to go fast, but the game wants you to go slow. And which one are you going to choose to go? Uh, but it looks neat. It, there's nothing from the trailer that makes me think the game's going to be bad. There is just uh, themes that run the risk of 
being traps that are going to cause it to be bad. And that's the thing with most Sonic games. Uh, the whole comment, it's a coin flip. It literally is. We never know until, you know, the day of release what a Sonic game is going to be, unfortunately. Although, speaking of Sonic, we also got a trailer for Sonic 2. And we yep. finally got to hear Idris Elba as Knuckles. And, man, I I wasn't sure about this movie. I... I was looking forward to it. I figured even if it's a fucking flop, it's going to be a fun popcorn movie to watch. Watching it, it, it looks like it's going to be pretty fucking good. Yeah, uh, like, with the first Sonic movie, I was jokingly excited for it, where it's like, okay, let's go see the Sonic movie. Like, what's the worst that can happen? It, it should be funny. And this one, I'm actually like, I actually kind of really want to see this one. That fucking first interaction we get to see between uh, Knuckles and Sonic, where Knuckles is calling Sonic out for saying, oh, you think I need your power? And then he fucking throws him to the ground, and then uh, it cuts there, but presumably then Knuckles pulls out a knife and starts skinning Sonic alive, uh, <laughs> if I had to guess. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be really fucking good. Yeah, um, well, what is it? Uh, Knuckles is as strong as Sonic is fast. Uh, you can figure out what that means yourself, but that's the rules placed by the Sega team. Yeah. It's, uh, and, like, obviously, Knuckles is a bad guy. That's how he's introduced, uh, in the game, so it makes sense that that's how he's introduced in the movie. It seems like, uh, Dr. Robotnik, who actually looks like Dr. Robotnik now, uh, has managed to manipulate Knuckles into, uh, believing that Sonic is the bad guy and Robotnik is a good guy. I mean, I believe uh, that's also what happened in the games. Yeah, and he's, uh, found the Chaos Emeralds, finally, so those are getting introduced into the universe. Um, so presumably what's going to end up happening is he uses Knuckles to keep Sonic busy while he steals the Chaos Emeralds, and then the moment he steals the Chaos Emeralds, Knuckles is going to realize that Robotnik was actually the bad guy, and potentially will end up getting a team-up between Knuckles and Sonic by the end of the movie. They might leave that for Sonic 3, uh, for them to actually work together. I think you mean Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, you're right, Sonic and Knuckles. Uh, fuck Tales. Also known as Miles Prower. Uh, yeah. Another movie we actually got a trailer for was Across the Spider-Verse, part one. That one must have been before I joined the call, because I joined... Well, uh, it was during the Game Awards. We just got it uh, released by uh, Sony. Okay, that explains. Uh, I completely missed that. I did not realize we got that trailer. Yeah, so it's a sequel um, to uh, Into the Spider-Verse Spider with uh, Miles Morales as the lead. And it looks like it continues off right where the end credit scene of him laying in his bed when uh, Gwen, uh, Spider-Gwen calls out to him. And it looks like it continues on from there. She has the ability to travel dimensions more freely now. And it looks like we're getting Spider-Man 2077. Oh, that's fucking hype as hell. I love Spider-Man 2077. He's such a fucking good character. So getting him into the uh, Spider-Verse uh, is something I am absolutely into. Yeah, and they're calling it Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, so it looks like we're getting multiple movies into this one. Yep. Oscar Isaac has been casted in this one. Yep. I don't even... He doesn't have a character listed with him, but anytime Oscar Isaac is into something, I'm fully into it, as I have stated in the past. It looks really good, and considering how good Into the Spider-Verse was, I am looking forward to what they're going to pull off with this one. Yep, Into the Spider-Verse uh, did the story that should have been very wacky and weird in a very sincere way. Like, yes, it was still wacky and weird, but they did it in a very sincere way, and it was a very enjoyable movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Across the Spider-Verse, part one and future parts. 
and then uh, really the last thing I have to mention, and this one was from the Game Awards, uh, we're getting Among Us VR. Yep. Uh, that's a whole fucking thing. This might be what causes VR to become a thing. Not that VR isn't a thing now, but uh, I don't think there's a massive audience for VR right now, and it's more so uh, like specific people and eccentrics, essentially, who have uh, VR consoles and actually use them regularly. But if you get make a game that most of the world played for at least a month uh, and tell them they can now play it in VR and be that much closer to the action, uh, it could definitely... Uh, help sell a lot of VR consoles, which could make uh, game developers more comfortable investing in making proper VR games. So, this might be the game that makes VR a mainstream thing. Uh, actually, one other thing I did want to mention is The Matrix Awakens. Right, yes. Uh, that's the game that's currently free on PlayStation 5 and Xbox One that uh, goes through the story of the original Matrix trilogy, from what we can tell? It looks like. So the, what's released right now is like a tech demo, interactive demo type thing, uh, from what I understand. And uh, I have been hearing a lot of people uh, give comments of it's a, a, like almost indistinguishable from like the movie uh, that we originally saw with the original Matrix when you're looking at it, versus sometimes boarding on Uncanny Valley. Yeah, uh... It's a little bit hard to tell. It, it, it It's very Uncanny Valley for me. Um, the part that we saw in the trailer for it opened with a straight-up scene from the original movie, and if that was something that they redid in-game and made it look that good, then power to them, but I'm convinced it was literally them showing a scene from the movie and then cutting to gameplay. Um, but the faces are a little bit too close to the Uncanny Valley for me. Uh... But yeah, it does look super fucking hype. Um, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. This is also like one of the first major games made on Unreal Engine 5, as far as I can tell. I believe uh, so. So it's not just a tech demo for the game itself. It's a tech demo for Unreal Engine 5. Huh. I don't know. Uh, it looks super cool. Uh, I don't have a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X. Uh, so I can't tech demo it, but uh, I'm sure it's good. Yeah, it definitely seems to be a lot of stuff coming out that are uh, worth keeping an eye on at this point. Yeah. But with that, I think it is time to get into our main topic for the day. So, while we did just talk about, briefly mention Oscar Isaac and how I'm a fan of anything he's in. Oh. There's a very different actor in the movie that we're talking about today who I have a very different opinion of. Um, uh, I know, I do have to ask. Uh, last we talked about this, you've only seen half of the movie. Uh, have you had the chance to see the second half? <laughs> so, fun fact. Uh, I So my plan was to wait for it to come out on streaming, or I was hoping it would come out on uh, like the Cineplex store where or Amazon Prime or something like that, where you could rent it to watch it at home. Uh, and... My plan was to watch it at home uh, once I could. Uh, that didn't end up being a thing, so I did end up going back to the theater to try watching it again. And the fucking night I picked is the recent blizzard that we fucking had. Uh, <laughs> that's when I fucking went to go see it. And the entire time I was sitting in the theater, I was thinking to myself, I swear to 
fucking god if the power goes out in the middle of this movie again. I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Um, it didn't, so we're good. It was just one of those things where I was real ready to get real pissed off. Yeah, um, you seem to have picked uh, ideal times to watch uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is the movie we're, we're reviewing today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you uh, just seem to pick the worst situations. It was just one of those things where it wasn't even me like seeing it's blizzarding out and going, I should watch the movie now that the terrible, oh, the weather's terrible. It was me like two days before the blizzard thinking it's not going to be out on streaming in time. I'm going to buy some tickets. I have free time on this night. I'm going to buy a ticket to see it on this night. And then the night comes. I'm like, of course it's fucking blizzarding on the night that I bought a ticket to see this movie. But yes, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, initial thoughts. Did you like it? Did you dislike it? Uh, this honestly might be my favorite movie this year so far. I can definitely see that. I really enjoyed this movie. There were, I will be honest, there were some moments I was less than psyched about. But fucking Paul Rudd was an absolute delight in this movie. As he is in every movie he's in. That's um, fair. Uh, Paul, Paul Rudd was definitely good. But I think the person who actually stole the show was McKenna Grace playing Phoebe Spangler. Yeah, she was also fucking phenomenal. Um... Yes, I was a big fan of her as well. I wasn't... So, my biggest gripe about this movie isn't even Finn fucking Wolfhart, who, in <laughs> case you're unaware, I'm bringing this meme back from the dead, uh, is the actor who I was referencing before we started talking about the movie of I am less than fond of this actor. Uh, he wasn't even my uh, biggest gripe with this movie. My biggest gripe with this movie was the fucking straw man mother that they created of... <laughs> She's opposed to science in all its forms. She loves her daughter who practices science, but her favorite thing in the world would be as if her daughter stopped practicing science because apparently science tears families apart. Uh, it was a weird stance for her to take. Uh, Very honest. topical in the modern climate. Yeah. Um, so I was less... Uh, she was probably the thing that uh, made me the least happy with me. But overall, I did quite enjoy the movie. So, shall we get into the movie itself, then? Yeah, so uh, this movie uh, is... To say it's a sequel to the original Ghostbusters movies doesn't seem right. This feels more like it's a story within the Ghostbusters universe that's tied to the originals. Uh, yeah, it it's in the same universe, and it takes place after, but sequel just isn't the right word to it. At the same time, it also feels very much like an homage to the original uh, Ghostbusters movies. With every like reference that they make being like a positive reminder of those movies, yeah, but this less was... so in a cash grabby. Remember this, remember this, and more so in like a, we want to invoke the feelings that you had watching Ghostbusters the first time. Yeah, and it was uh, written and directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of the Ivan Reitman who did the original ones, and Jason actually grew up on the sets of the original Ghostbusters movie, so he's yeah. very much lived through Ghostbusters in like a very unique sense that has, I think, given him quite the interesting perspective on the universe that allowed him to actually do a successful, in a sense, soft reboot, if you want to put it that way. But uh, a lot of people have been complaining that it just rehashes and it's a poor Ghostbusters 3, but it's not a Ghostbusters 3, and I never once expected that. It's impossible to make ghostbusters 3 currently like there's no way well we'll have that ghostbusters 3 people want outside of maybe the ghostbusters video game i think that's the closest we ever got to ghostbusters 3 yeah it is not meant to be 
the next movie in the Ghostbusters series. It's meant to be its own thing. It's not even meant to set up future Ghostbuster movies. It's just meant to be its own individual story that essentially tells the life of a family in the fucking Ghostbusters universe. And is very much so a fucking uh, positive... Well, send-off seems like a very dark phrase for me to use. But uh, a loving goodbye to Harold Ramis. Oh yeah, it was an uh, uh, amazing goodbye to uh, Ramis and how they did it was perfect. And they did a good job of, like, I feel like having his character without him being able to play the character, I feel like they were very true to what his character was. And Yeah. And yeah. Like, we get to see uh, Egon Spangler at the very end of the movie in ghost form because, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie yet, once again, fucking spoiler for every topic we discuss on this <laughs> podcast. We're going to spoil it. Uh, but he dies in the very beginning of the movie. Like, first five minutes, it's him capturing uh, either the keymaster or the gatekeeper, it's unclear which one, uh, bringing it back to his host to try and uh, capture Gozer once and for all, and uh, dying in the process because his plan backfires ever so slightly. Uh, so at the very end of the film, we get to see him in like corporeal ghost form where we actually see him, but throughout the movie up until that point, we see his effect on the world. Like We see him turning on lights, we see him pointing uh, lamps towards certain points he wants people to focus on and opening drawers to find stuff. So you very much, without having an actor playing him, have the character of Egon Spangler's ghost throughout the beginning of the fucking movie anyways. And they do a fantastic job of bringing life to that character, which, once again, is a poor choice of phrasing. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, going into this movie, I was paused. Like, they tried to play it off, and it wasn't Egon's fame. Like, oh, who are these people like uh, who's the mysterious ghostbuster at the beginning blah, 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 and stuff it was very clear it was going to be egon's family in some capacity yeah. and going into it, i knew <laughs> because of like uh the death of the actor and the the way that the movie was very clearly going to pay off like an homage to him in some aspect i was like there's two moments that are going to make me tear up in this theater and it's going to be if uh he ends up helping phoebe at the end to like finish off the person, which ended up being the thing that happened. He does like pretty much the Goku father son Kamehameha from the cell fight with her. Uh, yeah. But the other one that is like, and it didn't happen. And I, I don't know if I'm sad or not, it didn't. But in the original Ghostbusters, the joke that they would have would, uh, when they were lighting up the proton packs, it would go Doe, and then it would go to Ray, and he'd go Ray, and then Egon making the joke would go Egon when he turned on his. So the Doe Ray me. Yeah, instead of me, yeah, it's Egon. And um, because Phoebe is so much. Egon as a character in this one, I was expecting there would be a point where the other Ghostbusters would like two of them would be lined up with her and they would do the same thing and then she would say Phoebe, never knowing the joke at all, and that would be like a really fun payoff to like she has his sense of humor. Yeah. Which while they didn't do that exact thing, they absolutely did her having his sense of humor because uh at the very beginning of the movie, uh when they're driving into town, uh the mother makes a reference to the fact that Phoebe doesn't have any friends and is, has a hard time being friends and tells her to just walk up to someone and start a conversation. Don't be afraid to do that. That's a great way to make friends. To which Finn Wolfhart's character, whose name exists, but I constantly was just overwriting it as Finn every time his name was said in the movie. <laughs> it's Trevor. Sure. So Finn turns around in his car, in the car and says, tell me a joke. To which Phoebe says... Uh, why can you never trust Adams? They make up everything. Which, first of all, 
I fucking lost it in the movie because I am also a bit of a science nerd and love that joke and happened to be wearing a t-shirt that had that exact joke printed on it when I went <laughs> to see the movie in theater. Um, and throughout the movie, there are moments of her trying to break the tension by like telling a joke. And all of her jokes are just the driest dad humorist fucking jokes of all time. Uh, I think the peak one for me, at least, is what do you call a dead polar bear? Whatever you want, it's dead. It can't hear you. Uh, so it's just a whole bunch of her making just really fucking fantastic jokes throughout the entire movie. And I very much have air quotes around the word fantastic there. Yeah, um, the, like I said, like. Uh, McKenna Grace doing Phoebe Spangler was like probably my favorite thing in this movie, and though it didn't set up sequels, and I have no idea how they would do a sequel with these cast being the Ghostbusters specifically, I would love to see more of this character in the universe. Even if we don't uh, see more in this universe, it has become a situation where uh, McKenna Grace has become a actor I'm aware of now, and I'm going to watch other shit she's done because she actually did fucking fantastic in this movie and I assume she is good in other things she's done. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, the plot starts that? off with that scene of Egon fighting against the key master and the gatekeeper. Catches one of them, tries to catch the other one, but doesn't have enough power in the system. Ends up dying of a heart attack before uh, well, just after hiding the other one. And then we cut to the new well, family, which are like, oh, we're out of money. We say heart attack, but we also, in the last moments of his life, see him sitting in a chair and then see a ghost grab him through the chair. So I think he died of a ghost. Uh, and I mean, just... I, I don't know about you, but I could, would probably have a heart attack at that age if that situation happened. Quite possibly. But I feel like heart attack is their way of saying, I don't believe in ghosts and natural causes. Explanation if ghosts don't exist. Um, Which I love the establishment of the Ghostbusters universe that between movies, everyone forgets about ghosts again. Yeah, so I enjoy how this is, like, they're very much trying to ground the Ghostbusters in our universe, essentially, in that the first time Ghostbusters start busting ghosts, no one believes the ghosts are real. When Ghostbuster 2 comes out, the EPA agent is very much on the belief that they're just drugging people and putting on elaborate light shows, and it's still ghosts aren't real. In spite of the ample evidence that ghosts are real. And then in the 30 years since fucking Ghostbusters 2 and when this movie starts, everyone except for Paul Rudd has forgotten that ghosts exist again. <laughs> yep. It, it's just like, if we had real tangible proof that ghosts existed at any point in our history, I don't think in the span of 30 years everyone would be like, nah, fuck it, that didn't happen. I mean, I'm willing to accept people outside of New York possibly not because if you look at the first two movies there really wasn't anything to really concretely say ghosts exist because you have to remember i don't think you know people walking around with a video camera in their pocket would have been a thing that would have been likely at the time That's... so I, I can see people like in new york being like yeah fucking ghosts do exist They're like it happened twice and the people outside think sure new york that is fair i suppose People in the rest of the world might be a little bit less aware of that fact. Because um, they do specifically say that the ghost attack happened in New York. And they didn't have ghosts anywhere else in the world. It was specifically New York got infested with ghosts. Uh, so Which I'm sure there's something tying back to Evo Shandor about his like ghost like network that he created. 
Yeah, probably. Uh, I did enjoy that payoff of Evo Shandor uh, establishing the Selenium Mines, which is where he got the metal to make the girders for the tower in New York. Um, and they have him, clearly his end goal is he gets resurrected when Gozar comes back, so that he can rule alongside Gozer. And Gozer, like, hears his, like, monologue about that and immediately just fucking murders the shit out of him. Like, nope, that's not how this plan works, but okay. Uh, um, now, a fun thing for you here. Did you happen to notice who played Evo Shandor? Uh, that was uh, J.K. Simmons, wasn't yep, it? Yep, J.K. Simmons is playing Evo Shandor. <laughs> yep. Uh, once again, uh, so J.K. Simmons, even though he's a fantastic actor, and I don't consider him uh, to be, like, this kind of actor, I can't help but see him as J. Jonah Jameson every time I yep. see him in a role. <laughs> So it was very much so not, in my head, it wasn't J.K. Simmons playing Evo Shandor. It was J. Jonah Jameson going undercover to get the real scoop as <laughs> Evo Shandor. Uh, it was my personal headcanon. Uh, another interesting thing that a lot of people also missed is uh, Gozer was actually Olivia Wilde. I recognized her. I couldn't figure out who it was, but Olivia Wilde, that does make Yeah, obviously um, the uh, voice and uh, the CG uh, touch-up is not her specifically, but for most of the stuff that where they needed a practical, it was Olivia Wilde. Yeah, no, I could, uh, like, Googling Olivia Wilde now so I could confirm what her face looks like, I can absolutely see her in Gozer. So, yeah, I can see what you mean. It was just one of those things where I kept seeing her, I was like, I recognize that face. I can't tell who it is, and it's because the voice was probably throwing me off a fair bit. Well, they and the, did a really good job of recreating Gozer from the first movie. Yeah, and the CG covering up uh, details to make it look more like the first Gozer uh, uh, hit it quite well. Um, but yeah, you can uh, you can see it if you're looking for it. Put it that way. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, as the story goes, essentially they get the will that oh, family member died, and they're going to collect debt, but <laughs> there's like nothing for them there except for the house, and obviously Egon uh, starts testing Phoebe. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, he wants to make sure someone's there to stop the apocalypse in his stead, and so he ta he essentially makes sure Phoebe is up to the task by giving her different science tests. I mean, the first science test is, do you know how to open a game of chess? Uh, and after two moves, he's like, yep, good enough, let's go. Uh, <laughs> you passed the two moves. Yep. Uh, also, if you look at it, her two moves are terrible because she sacrifices a knight to get a pawn, uh, which is not a great move to make in chess, but fuck it, whatever. Um, uh, maybe his test was, are you too focused on chess and that's the only thing you're good at? Oh, you're not that great at chess. You're probably good at other things. Uh, and then he tasks her with fixing the proton pack. And once she does that, he's like, yep, you're clearly my granddaughter. You're going to do this from here. Uh, now, actually, we kind of <clears throat> glossed over a few characters that I feel like we should probably mention that haven't introduced at this point. So we get Podcast, which is her friend at school, because she goes to summer uh, school because, not because she flunked, but because she's so smart, she wants to keep going to school. Yeah, it, the options her mother gives her is go to summer school with a bunch of uh, people who flunked through school, or help her clean asbestos out of the attic. And Phoebe makes the wise choice of, I'm going to go to summer school. Uh, 
now that you mentioned podcast, I do have to say, felt a little bit personally called out by podcast, but also he very quickly became one of my favorite characters, so I'm okay with being called out by podcast. Um, <laughs> his entire character is, uh, well, he's making a podcast about... Uh, Everything? Oh, fuck. Kind of like well, us. It's the, well, it's specifically about the mystical world, as far as I can tell. Um, I forget what he called his podcast, but uh, his one and only subscriber is uh, Ray Stans, uh, so that's fun. Um, but he, uh, oh fuck, what was I saying? He is a very charming character and how like genuine he is and his like interest in ghosts and how he believes in them. One of the things I fucking love about this character that a lot of movies get wrong is. Anytime you have the, like, the conspiracy theorist who believes that ghosts are real or whatever your movie has is real when no one else believes it's real, and then you have that moment where you finally run into a ghost or a vampire or a whatever it is in your movie, and then that crackpot conspiracy theorist will start, like, jumping up and down, shouting, like, I knew it! I was right all along! Fuck you! Fuck you! That seems always a little weird to me because if you actually did know it all along then you getting the confirmation shouldn't do anything for you. The confirmation only makes sense if like you were starting to doubt yourself. So the fact that he has just no fucking reaction to actually seeing ghosts are real is fucking beautiful to me. Cause it means like he was fully assured in his belief <laughs> that ghosts were real to the point where seeing physical evidence of ghosts being real. He's like, yeah, of course they're real. Like, what do you expect me to react about here? It's like, if I told you dogs were real and then a dog walked, room i wouldn't be like fuck yeah see look dogs are real proof all along i was right all along it's like no yeah of course dogs but, are real that's, incorrect. that's how everyone reacts when a dog enters the room yeah dog was a bad example to use because <laughs> i wouldn't be shouting dogs are real see but i would just jumping up and down shouting fuck yeah dogs uh so that was a bad example but you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah uh anytime the conspiracy theorist like gets real excited when the conspiracy is proven true always seems a little bit awkward and weird to me so the fact that podcast was just blank expression i don't care this is obviously what was happened uh is very uh cool to me oh definitely uh in the same uh, school vein we also get introduced to gary guberson or gruberson who is paul yep. played, played by paul red who is the science teacher who doesn't care about the science class and just gets them to watch like horror movies <laughs> He, so, I laughed out fucking loud at most of the shit Paul Red said. Not most of the shit, but there were several moments. Like, uh, that first introduction to him teaching the class, where it's him wheeling in a TV, an old CRT TV, commenting about how the only thing the school has is fucking VHS. And then he's like, alright, like, 10 and 11 year olds, here's what we're gonna do today. And he pulls out fucking Cujo and explains how it's about a rabid dog killing a bunch of people. So imagine if it's Beethoven crossed with just a dog that kills people. <laughs> and it's just like, man, the idea of a science teacher who's phoning it in so fucking hard that he's just putting this shit on for his students while he goes off and does science in the other room is beautiful. Yeah. And I think a lot of like the Ghostbusters like fan base references came from him as well. Being like he was clearly a fan of the Ghostbusters himself. Yeah. Uh, another character that uh, gets introduced to that's kind of big to the story, which unfortunately I feel is probably the most misused character in the story, is Lucky, played by uh, Celise O'Connor. Yeah, she unfortunately kind of got relegated to a 
romantic interest slash damsel in distress at the very end. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't get great use of her character, but I did enjoy her character and felt like she had a lot of potential. In the- oh yeah, she did a great job. It's just she was just so misused in the story that like I feel like plucking her out of the story makes no difference, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but those are our main characters that we're kind of working with through the story. Uh, so, uh, just to go to another, I don't know why I'm just telling funny moments, because the movie is not, it has comedic moments, but it's not played as a comedy, it's played as a relatively serious film about kids trying to kill ghosts. Well, it's both. Um, uh, Ghostbusters has always been a horror comedy franchise. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just mean, like, it's not pure comedy. There are other elements to it, so the fact that I'm only talking about the parts that I found fucking hilarious and caused me to chortle in the theater and feel bad for other people. Um, is not the best, and we'll continue talking about the plot in a second. But uh, in Finn Wolfhart's uh, first introduction to Lucky, uh, he's found her attractive. He's trying to apply for a job where she works uh, so that he could get closer to her. And she asks how old he is, and he's like, I'm 17. And she's like, okay. Um, And then towards the end of the movie, just before the climax starts to happen, we uh, see her uh, and Finn uh, looking into a deep pit where uh, Phoebe theorizes that that's where they drop sacrifices. And Lucky makes the comment about how they're probably sacrificing virgins. Too bad for you, Finn Wolfhart. Ha 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 ha. And which Phoebe pipes in, of course he's a virgin. He's 15. Statistically speaking, most of them are. And Lucky gets like real flabbergasted because like, what the fuck? You told me you were 17. You're only 15. What's going on here? And Finn's response is, I'm almost 16. I turned 16 in February. And Lucky's perfect fucking response of, it's June? Fuck, I legitimately <laughs> lost it in the theater. <laughs> oh, God. Like, yeah, no, you're not almost 16. You've been 15 for four fucking months. Fuck right off. Finn fucking Wolfer. Um <laughs> Uh, sorry, I I shouldn't be mean to Finn Wolfhart. He seems like kind of a shitty teen, but I'm sure he's a nice person. Um, alright, so that that's the other comedic moment I wanted to address. Going back to where we were with the plot. Oh no, we weren't on the plot. You were talking about underused characters, characters we hadn't addressed. Had I used that as a moment to talk about my favorite scene involving them? <laughs> yeah, essentially I was just getting at that the character of Lucky was just misused and Again, you could have plucked them out and it would have made no difference. Uh, but I guess they want to focus more on the family aspect, but even podcasts got a lot more screen time and development. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's just uh, the way it is sometimes. They wanted to do... A, it very much so uh, played more into the family film genre than the traditional Ghostbusters. Not in like a bad way, it's just it was a family movie and it followed children and a family getting closer together and overcoming obstacles that get in the way of them being a happy family. Um, so it was also about reconciliation between a uh, father and a daughter who had been separated for most of the daughter's life. So yes, very much so a family movie. Uh, so unfortunately it followed the family a lot more, as he said, podcast got a lot more development, but that's, I felt that was less so because, they wanted podcast to be a character, and more so because they needed. Phoebe was very much the star of the movie. Like, yes, it followed 
uh, Finn uh, a fair bit as well, but it was mostly about Phoebe's journey. Um, and so they needed a character for Phoebe to talk to in all the scenes when she was figuring stuff out. So making podcasts have more of a role just kind of naturally happened as a result of that. Um, and unfortunately, for... Uh, did you say his name was Trevor? Yeah. Yeah, I, that name rings zero fucking bells for me. I 100% <laughs> just overrode it with Finn every time his name was said. Uh, Trevor, a lot of his like development scenes was him fucking around in a car on his own. Or the brief stint he spent working at the burger shop, so... Well, I, just wasn't... I feel like they did a good job of explaining, like, each of the characters that end up being the Ghostbuster, like, four in this one have their own skill set, in a sense, where, you know, yeah. Trevor is clearly, like, very mechanically gifted when it comes to engineering. He's able to restore the Ecto-1, no problem. Uh, and uh, on that note, they actually do a great job of setting that up, and this is something I only noticed watching through on my second time of the first half which was when they're driving from uh, i guess it's new york where they start uh driving from new york down to uh somerville i think that's the name of the city um yep. anyways when they're doing that drive uh there is a brief shot of them on the side of the road with the mother and phoebe sitting on top of the car while trevor is under the hood tweaking something with the engine so presumably the car broke down and trevor was the one to fix it up so they do a good job of actually briefly establishing that he is well-versed in cars, even if he can't drive because he's 15 and failed the driver's test. They do a good job of establishing he is mechanically gifted. Yeah, and then obviously Phoebe is the scientific mind. Uh, podcast is kind of like the tech guy, in a sense. He's kind of the tech guy. He also is kind of the researcher, because he's the one who does the fight up on Boozer in town. And so, uh, then, obviously, Lucky is kind of like the athlete of the group, in a sense. The more physical, like, trooper one that, you know, gets in the face of the creature. Yeah. Sometimes she literally gets inside the creature. Uh, but she yeah, becomes... this point of the story is kind of like where one of my first issues with it comes up. And that's the fact that Egon guides Phoebe to the uh, ghost trap and then lets her open it, in a sense. Yeah, so... uh. In theory, because uh, for Gozer to come into the world, they need the gatekeeper and the keymaster to both be there in their dog form. There are some other steps that are required that I'm not going to get into, but it needs both the gatekeeper and the keymaster to do it. One of those two is currently trapped inside a ghost trap, and Egon, in his attempt to like test Phoebe, straight up leads her to the ghost trap that is very well hidden, that holds one of the two uh major ghosts and she inevitably brings it straight to paul rudd who opens it up uh sorry gary gruberson uh who opens it up as a test so there's two very foolish decisions by adults here uh, well one adult and one ghost in that egon should not have led her straight to the ghost trap he could have led her to underground to the proton pack and stuff like that and had her fuck around with that but leading her to the ghost trap is a uh, foolish decision, if you ask me. And Gary Gruberson, who knows ghosts are real, sees that the trap is real, and his initial reaction is, fuck it, let's open it up and release what's ever trapped inside. Not a great fucking decision, Mr. Gruberson. To be fair, uh, I don't think he knew the gravity of what ghost was locked inside. 
Yeah, I don't think he understood exactly what ghost, but he did still make the poor decision of let's release a ghost. Yeah, because uh, in the Ghostbusters universe, the default ghost is just cartoon character. And then beyond that, there's like the world-ending ghost. And I, I can't blame him for thinking, oh, this definitely isn't a world-ending ghost in this box. Why would it just be sitting around with children? True. But at the same time, even the cartoon character ghosts were clearly a nuisance to society. Uh, <laughs> and he had no means of getting the cartoon character ghost back into the box uh, once he released it, as far as he knew. Like, it wasn't until after they released the trap that they found the proton pack, so... Oh, no. Uh, it worked out fine at the end. It was a weird decision for them to make. In particular, it worked out a little less than fine for Gary, but he he survived, so nothing nothing bad. True. Um, so, yeah, that was a strange decision by Egon. But, yeah, it, it happens. Presumably, it was one of those things where he realized... Uh, trapping, I'm just going to call it the Keymaster because I have no way of distinguishing which one it was, and it's just going to make it easier rather than saying both names each time. So, it might have been something to the effect of him realizing that if he just traps the Keymaster, the Gatekeeper is still out there and potentially has a means to release the Keymaster if given enough time. So, he wanted to get her aware of the danger and actively participating in stopping it. Um, because it's pretty clear. So one of the cool things we see that Egon did during his time while here in Somerville uh, was he found the specific portal that to the afterlife that the ghosts were going to come up through and jerry-rigged the shit out of a device that had a ghost sensor. So the moment there was any ghost activity there, it would trigger and turn on, I think it was like five or six proton packs all pointing towards the hole so that they would cross their beams and just beat the shit out of any ghosts trying to climb up through the ghost portal. Yeah. So, very ingenious engineering, but I think it's very clear that that is only a stopgap and a way of buying time. He still needs to actually deal with Gozer, the gatekeeper, and the keymaster. Um, and he was probably under the assumption that just trapping the gate uh, the keymaster wasn't going to be enough, and he would need Phoebe to actively catch the gatekeeper and was just hoping revealing the trap to her would get her to investigate further and find out exactly what's going on. Yeah, that's fair. Once again, not a great call, but it no. worked out. Yeah, and he ends up teaching, like, it's clear, it's clear he's trying to teach her to be ready for whenever whatever happens, happens as well, because he gets her to repair the proton pack and go through that stuff. And we get the great scene of her and Podcast testing it out as well, which leads straight to their first ghost encounter with, uh, I believe it's Muncher? Muncher. It. Yeah, that's what they called it. Muncher. Which was uh, a nice little nod. It's clearly a different ghost, but uh, very reminiscent of Slimer in both aesthetic and also just like the kind of cute nature of it. Um, this one seems a little bit more dangerous than Slimer because he seems fully capable of essentially firing a Gatling gun of shreds of metal from his mouth. Uh but still a nice ghost. Also, a fun moment where Podcast fully assumes that the death whistle is going to be what defeats Muncher, and it just fucking pisses Muncher off, and that's when they decide to use the proton pack in the trap. They have a slightly rough time with the first deployment of the trap, because we find out that sliding the trap along the ground and getting it to end up face up is not as easy as they make it seem in the Ghostbuster movies. Well, these are also kids compared to them. <laughs> yeah. Um... 
But we find out that there is a pretty solid workaround in the trap that they use for most of the movie uh, is on a little uh, RC car. Uh, and because of that, it's always face up because you're not throwing it, you're driving it. Yeah, I, I do enjoy the the new tech, essentially, that they have, which feels like it's a natural progression of what they have already. Yeah, the modifications, for the most part, that were made to Ecto-1, because the RC car, while it is technically distinct, was stored inside Ecto-1. Uh, the gunner seat that was attached to Ecto-1, so someone could fire a proton pack without destroying Ecto-1 from Ecto-1. It was a very nice touch. Um... Stuff like that. Uh, very cool. And it showed that... Because it would have been a bit of a letdown if they were still using all the tech that they used 30 years ago. Because what was Egon doing over these past 30 years besides setting up that little proton pack gun pointing at the hell portal? Uh, so the fact that modifications were made to Ecto-1 and these new techs were developed kind of shows that even when he's not fighting ghosts, he's still working on the tech he uses to fight ghosts, which was... A nice touch. Yeah, and you would have had to do stuff like this, considering we saw he also rigged up that chamber to stop the ghosts coming through automatically. He, he was clearly working on stuff to make it easier for himself as well. Yeah, I I think initially, uh, especially when the other Ghostbusters didn't come with him, uh, his assumption was that this was something he was going to have to do entirely on his own. Uh, and so he had to come up with technology that would make it easier for one person to fight ghosts because up until now he'd been doing it as a team of four so he needed to create technology that would make it slightly easier for him to do it entirely on his own uh and like clearly he did some shit right because he did manage to catch the key master entirely on his own uh so it fucking he put in the work and did the time and got results yeah and i think now's actually probably a good time to talk about this but the splitting up of the original Ghostbusters. How did you feel about that? Uh, well, first of all, it kind of needed to happen. They, You couldn't have them all still working together in-universe. Uh, otherwise, more people would probably be aware of ghosts. But also, the fact that ghosts stop attacking makes sense. Um, them all going their own separate ways, having a big falling out. It felt a little weird and a little bit kind of... I mean... Scripted feels like the wrong word because it was in a script, <laughs> so obviously it was scripted. Uh, it felt fabricated. That's a good way to put it. It felt like something that wouldn't naturally happen, and more so something that they made happen for the plot. But I, I can see how it could happen. It just didn't feel entirely natural to me. I mean, I, I felt that quite a bit of it actually worked out pretty well because, uh, as is explained, uh, that effectively they were ghost busting so good that ghosts just kind of stopped happening that they had to deal with and then vinkman was the first one to leave turning it into like a profitable method of like just oh his method and stuff like that so vinkman just kind of dipping because there's money to be made somewhere else sounds very much like a vinkman thing yeah i i can get behind vinkman um the why, yeah why ray and uh winston didn't believe egon i have no idea uh, yeah, that's that's the part that I find the most stretch. And then the fact that, so, them not believing Egon feels like a bit of a stretch to me. Uh, Egon stealing everything after trying to explain it to them, it feels a little bit 
uh, fake to me, but I can kind of understand why if he believes the end of the world is coming. Granted, according to the charts, the end of the world wasn't coming for 30 years. Um, maybe 25, let's assume five years passed in the time. Uh, so he didn't need to steal everything and set up right fucking away. But even so, he believes the end of the world's coming. He believes the stakes are that high. I can kind of understand him stealing. The fact that everyone just kind of stopped talking to each other as a result of that also feels not genuine. Like, if I went through something that high of stakes with my three friends, I feel like I wouldn't just fall out of touch with them immediately afterwards if we stopped doing that uh, high-stakes event together. Yeah, it sounds like they just didn't talk to each other except for Janine, who was kind of like the only thing keeping them connected. Yeah. Although, I guess they didn't fully stop talking. Like, while they weren't talking to each other, Sans clearly was keeping tabs on everyone because he knew where the other two were at the time. Like, he didn't realize that Egon had passed away. But he was aware of where both Winston and... Venkman. Uh, Venkman, thank you. Uh, where both of them were. So he was clearly keeping tabs on them. And he was able to reach them and get them to go down to Somerville. Uh, after that very abrupt ending to the phone call where he heard, the end of the world is actually happening. I'm Venkman's granddaughter and he died. Like, clearly Stans was capable of contacting both Winston and Venkman. I mean, like, yo, we should go down to Somerville because some shit's going down. Because they managed to show up in time for the fucking climax of the film to defeat Gozer one last time. Well, as we find out during one of the end credit scenes, uh, Winston was pretty much paying the rent for uh, Ray. And I think they all three of them stayed in New York, so it makes sense that they would know where each other were. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like yeah, there is the level of, like, quote-unquote scripted forced that makes sense for it, but I feel like they did it in a way that felt natural for the universe. Without yeah, kind of breaking I, the character's way of doing things. I'm not mad about it, it's just one of those things where I felt like it probably could have been handled a little bit uh, more. Um, but it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Yep. The end of the world is what was happening. Um... <laughs> So that all. So we get to. Uh, sorry. So Muncher escapes their first attempt to catch him, and they have to catch him driving through the city as he heads back towards uh, the mines. Um, and of course, firing a proton pack wantonly throughout a city uh, causes a lot of damage. This is the part where I have the biggest issue with the mother character, because the kids get arrested. Uh, obviously for destroying all that property and all their shit gets taken away. The mother who, while sitting having dinner with Gary Gruberson, has the ghost fly directly between her and Gary Gruberson, essentially tells Phoebe to fuck right off with all her nonsense about ghosts because ghosts aren't real and you're just talking science nonsense again and I don't want to hear any of your science nonsense. And it's for the best if your dreams die here and now so you give up the science bullshit is essentially the conversation she has with Phoebe while they're in the fucking police station. Which is such an absurd backwards world thing of like, you know, <laughs> science, fuck that. Get a real job like an artist. Yeah. It's just... Like, I can understand they need to take the proton pack away for the plot. They kind of need to have shit go wrong without them being able to immediately handle it. 
in order to raise the stakes for the climax. It's just one of those things where the mother tries to support her daughter while also saying some real just egregious shit like don't be yourself. Uh, it's kind of played for last when she says it, but it's more signs that the mother has such a big fucking boner for hating science that she tells her daughter that she doesn't like the way she is because she's into science. Uh, is It's just... It's weird to me, man. I'm not psyched about the mother character, but I can get over it. I'll yeah. get over it. I'm sorry. And also on that conversation about the police getting involved, too, that itself also seems it just was a pointless... Like, the only thing it does is serve to establish that Lucky's father is the chief of police for Somerville and add conflict between Phoebe and her mother because even getting the stuff back has nothing to do with the police, just that it's in the police station. Yeah, and the way they get it, like, the entire reason it's in the police station is so that it's behind bars that they can't manage to pick through because they established that one of Phoebe's skills as a scientist is picking locks, which, sure. Um, so... Phoebe can't get back to the stuff because it's behind an electronic lock that can't be picked or hacked. Um, and so they have no way to get to it. So the solution ends up being intentionally freeing Muncher so that he munches through the prison cell so that they can get back to their stuff. Yeah, and this um, scene could have just, like, the police... Like, the aspect of the police is completely meaningless. It could have very much as easily been, like, a room that was in the house that Egon had set up that she locks it in. And that would have yeah. served the same purpose. Yeah. It... It's just this this scene is where they get arrested by the police and then the mother fucking comes down hard on Phoebe about practicing science. Uh, it's the part that I have the biggest issue with in the movie. It's obviously not a major issue because I still thoroughly enjoy the movie. It's just, oh, yeah. This is the part that made me unhappy the most. Oh, yeah, as they do. You can uh, like not enjoy parts of it and still think it was great. Like, like I said, up to now, this is probably my favorite movie released this year. The only thing that could... Well, it probably will be, honestly, is Spider-Man. Yeah. Maybe The I, Matrix. I could see The Matrix taking it, but... I mean, uh, fun fact, pre-sales for Spider-Man tickets have already far outseated uh, Endgame. Endgame, yep. So, Spider-Man is the movie event of the fucking decade, and it's only two years in. Yeah. Um, whatever. Uh, I I will agree with you. This has been my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. So, but yes, uh, family squabbles over that stuff. Uh, Phoebe talking about how uh, she can't believe that mom never told her that her grandfather was Egon Spangler, Ghostbuster. Uh, uh, mom getting all defensive of you look around here and you see a whole bunch of things that connect you to your grandfather. I look around here and all I see are signs that my father never really loved me. Um, sure, emotional heartfelt scene. Uh, cut to like 10 minutes later when the ghost starts leading uh, the mother character around and she finds the shrine within his lab where there's just a whole bunch of pictures of her on the wall to show that even though Egon Spangler was here because he needed to save the end of the world, uh, he was still keeping tabs on the daughter uh, the entire time because he still deeply cared about her. So Also, he didn't even give her a warning about the fact that one of the two dogs was there. Yeah, no. It was also one of those things of, uh, like, 
while they're in the police station arguing, and Phoebe brings up, like, he came here because he thought the end of the world was coming, and the mother's like, the end of the world isn't coming, he's crazy. And Phoebe's like, but what if he was right? It's like, well, if he's not crazy, then he's just an asshole. And it's like, I feel like sacrificing yourself to uh, prevent the end of the world doesn't make you an asshole. And choosing not to drag your daughter to the city where the end of the world is going to start also doesn't make you an asshole. Like, yes, he probably could have done it a bit more delicately, but I don't think him, the things he did made him an asshole. Yeah, and just because he was an asshole doesn't mean he was wrong about the world ending. Yeah. But sure, fuck science. Woo. You know what? Now that I think about it, the amount of times we've just uh, commented on how science sucks, it might be for the best that Matt's not here. <laughs> that boy actually does approve of science. Um, Alright, well. So what happens next? We've established that the end of the world is in fact coming. I think yeah. this is the scene where they go to the bottom of the mine shaft and they've discovered the hell portal and all the proton packs that Egon set up. Yeah, and yeah. the proton packs, they find that the Evo Shandor just gets up every time it starts and then it gets zapped away. And they realize, oh, we have to do something about this. And they're getting ready to get all that. And this is when the mother and uh, Gary end up getting possessed. Yeah, so Gary got gets possessed in a Walmart uh, by the gatekeeper. Which and, uh, uh, I must say, the tiny uh, marshmallow men is so great because they're like literally treating themselves like marshmallows as well. Yeah, it's fucking adorable because it's a bunch of tiny marshmallow men like running around like little babies and like oh, and then they just start like biting the shit out of his fingers and like melting chocolate over top of one while it lays on a graham cracker or roasting them over top of a barbecue. Uh, which first of all, the fact that the barbecues that are set up in this Walmart actually yeah. uh, <laughs> producing flame a little bit fucked but whatever um uh it's a whole bunch of like fun stuff like that also gary gerberson's just there to buy some fucking ice cream uh because his date with the mother did not go well uh, well so it went well but like he's getting a second date oh well i think the gatekeeper's getting the second date that's true. um so uh he's going to buy some ice cream uh, and then he finds the giant dog thing, and we get a very cool, what I thought was a very cool moment, which is him running back to his car, and earlier on, when they first released the Keymaster, um, it caused what was essentially an explosion, uh, and destroyed the windshield of his car, uh, and so when he's running to his car to get away from the Walmart, he just slides over the hood and directly into his car via the windshield that yep. no longer exists. Um, so that was a pretty cool moment. Uh, at the same time, uh, the mother is being shown the uh, homage. Nope, that's not the word. Uh, uh, the collage. Wall of pictures. Collage, thank you. <laughs> uh, the collage of her life. Uh, and is also getting taken over by the uh, gatekeeper. Uh, Keymaster. She's the Keymaster, he's the gatekeeper. Um, uh, now, there, there is something that happens here when the gatekeeper and the Keymaster meet that I, I was like... They didn't need to explain it, but I kind of enjoyed that they took the time to explain it, and that's why Sigourney Reaver's character, Dana, had the golden dress in the first Ghostbusters, and apparently the gatekeeper just has the ability to just turn whatever they're wearing into that. Yeah. Uh, they also explained the attraction between uh, Sigourney Weaver and... Oh, fuck. What's his name? Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis, thank you. 
because she doesn't seem to pay him that much attention in the be uh, beginning of the movie. And then we find out that part of the ritual that causes the gatekeeper and the keymaster to summon Gozer into the world is they have to get to at least third base, apparently. Um, so we get that detail added for our knowledge of the world. Um, and then we see them uh, uh, summon Gozer into the world because Paul Rudd breaks the proton packs that are blocking the hell portal. And uh, the mother is just like having a good time at home, harassing her kids for not being the keymaster. And then she runs off into the desert and they summon Gozer. We are now arriving at the climax. Yeah, so this is the big final act. Uh, now, through this whole point, they're like, oh, he had a plan. The, this whole farm was meant to be a ghost trap, blah, 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 and all that stuff. I'm like, that still doesn't solve the problem of the power not working. Yeah, so one of the things I enjoyed, this is another fun moment, is uh, them. they go into the secret lab to try and figure out what to do, and they see the model of the host, uh, and Phoebe's like, oh, this is what he's working on all this time. And Finn Wolfhard's just like, but it's so small. It took 30 years. It's like, no, he was doing this to the place fucking above us. This is just a model of what he was doing. So yes, they haven't fixed the power problem. The thing is, they don't realize the power is a problem. We know the power is a problem because we saw it not work the first time around. But they don't. They just realize that this is capacitors and don't understand the full context of how he died. Um, so that's a problem we know is coming, but they don't. And we're going to see how they manage to resolve it in the future. Yeah, and this part is like, okay, we're finally going to get some stuff with Lucky. And her plan is, no, I'm just going to go to the house and wait. Yeah, it's uh, we're going to split up. You guys uh, go catch one of the two dogs and then bring it back here. Presumably your mother might want to have your mother alive. Um, and we, on the other side... And by we, I just mean Lucky on her own, is going to wait at the house. And she's not even going to be, like, standing there waiting to flip the switch and stamp the pedal. She's just going to be standing inside with a proton pack so that when they do come out, she can just shoot Buddy as soon as he steps onto the dirt. Yeah, it was definitely uh, very disappointing to see not this character live up to the full potential that could have had. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, they try to do the plan. So, several things go wrong with the plan. Uh, when uh, Finn Wolfhart tries to shoot Gozer. His pack isn't working because we have a whole bunch of the uh, little marshmallow men tearing uh, the wires in his pack to pieces, so it doesn't work. Um, obviously, the power doesn't work on his pack either. Uh, or not on his pack, on the trap. And uh, Gozer is now able to manipulate the proton wires and is uh, just fucking throwing Lucky around uh, so that she gets kidnapped, or not kidnapped, but possessed by the gatekeeper. Yeah, she becomes the new host of the gatekeeper, since they freed the mother. Yeah. Uh, and just when all hope is lost and the family is clearly about to die, three strange men in boiler suits show up who also still have proton packs. And they really give Gozer what for and tell her, hey, we beat you last time around, what are you doing back here? I thought you learned your lesson. I did wow. love like the the like the amount of jokes to the original that happened in this part too. Because <laughs> yeah. the part where uh, Gozer even asks Reagan, "Are you a god?" and he almost fucks it up again. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Wait, yes, yes, I'm a god. We are gods." <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah, it's uh, a lot of nice little references like that. 
Uh, obviously, they only have three to proton packs, not four, so they're not capable of properly dominating uh, Gozer. Yeah, they tried the crossing the streams plan again, which just doesn't work. Yeah, she uncrosses the streams for them, which is uh, horrifying. Um, and then when all hope is lost again, and it seems like those three are about to die to Gozer, she gets hit in the back from a proton beam. And we pan over, and we see Phoebe wielding the proton pack, but we see a mysterious figure standing next to her, helping guide the proton pack. And it's Egon Spangler in ghost form, helping her uh, spiritually. Um, yeah, that's definitely the scene where I started tearing up. Yeah, I also got more than a little bit weepy uh, watching this scene in the theater. Um, to be fair, I am also was eating a raw onion. What? Was eating a raw onion while watching it? No, I am just broken inside, so I start tearing up uh, the moment any emotions are brought up involving family. So <laughs> I, I was already weepy earlier on when Mother realized uh, Egon actually did love her. Uh, that already had me a little bit weepy, and then I just continued being weepy when uh, Ghost Egon was helping Phoebe. Um, so then we have the three gentlemen uh, start firing as well. Realizing now that they have the four Ghostbusters working together to uh, use their proton packs along with Phoebe, uh, everything's going to be fine, and they have the four packs required. Uh, so they hold down Gozer. At the same time, Podcast uh, discovers that the Ghost Trap is also perfectly capable of killing these little marshmallow ghosts. So he murders off a bunch of them, and then fixes up uh, Finn's proton pack so that he can fire it. And Finn makes the fucking... Uh, Omega Brain, Galaxy Brain, whatever you want to call it, call of the century, because we saw them try and use the trap earlier on, and we saw the power fail, and he starts pointing his proton pack towards Gozer, thinks about it for a second, sees that Gozer seems to be pretty well controlled for now. I mean, gotta break out eventually, but now it's not, that's not the more pressing issue. And instead turns and fires his fucking proton pack at the capacitors to help make sure it gets the full charge that it needs in order for the traps to work. Yeah, that was a very smart way of dealing with it, because you have to remember, these are pretty much nuclear generators they're carrying around. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, once he does that, there is enough power for the traps to fully trap uh, Gozer and the two dog beasts. Congratulations, day one. <laughs> oh, not only Gozer and the two dog, dog beasts. I forgot to mention that there's just this swirling cyclone of ghosts uh, above the farm this entire time as well. Yeah, and but what Ghostbuster movie in... doesn't have that? I know. It's just they also get trapped inside the hundred traps that are beneath the farm at this point. Luckily, one ghost does not get trapped. That's Egon Spangler. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, actually. Yeah. yeah I, I never thought about it, but yeah, he should have been pulled up into that as well. Uh, but luckily he wasn't, and instead he gets to go to heaven or whatever after uh, hugging his daughter one last time. Uh, and not saying anything, obviously, because ghosts can't speak, um, but he, like, has, like, a touching moment where he, like, smiles and looks teary-eyed towards each of his family members and his old friends, and then he fades to stardust and disappears. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it was a very good movie. Uh, I felt like it was a touching send-off to, uh, obviously... Harold Ramis, yeah. yep. And, again, it, it wasn't Ghostbusters 3, it didn't need to be, it wasn't trying to be, and it just did a really good job. Yeah. 
Uh, it was a very solid movie. Uh, unlike the other Ghostbusters movie that came out four years ago, this one had comedic elements, but wasn't just making a joke of everything that happened. It also took itself seriously when it needed to take itself seriously. And it uh, did very well because of it. This was a very solid movie. As I said, there's the character who I'm less than psyched with how they were portrayed, and that mostly comes down to that one scene in the fucking uh, police station. And aside from that, I think this movie was uh, fantastic. Yeah, and not to say, like, at the concepts of the Ghostbuster reboot done by Paul Feig was bad. It was more so this: the story did not fit very well with what Ghostbusters was. The actors did a fine job and all. It's just the story itself just kind of missed the mark. Yeah, it. That's my complaint about the movie: is it didn't feel like someone was trying to make a Ghostbusters movie. It felt like they were trying to make a comedy movie that uh, managed to take it. Well, take advantage seems like a harsh word. Uh, but it uh, made use of the Ghostbusters IP less so than being a proper Ghostbusters movie. Uh, but yeah, with the movie, uh, we get the end credits scene. There's two of this. Uh, did you happen to catch both of them? Uh, I did not happen to catch either one of them uh, because I had to pee real bad <laughs> and just like did the coin flip. Maybe this was one of the movies that got released this year that didn't have post credit scenes. So I ran into the bathroom. Uh, Marvel Please ruined everything. Every movie has post-credit scenes now. Be ready for that. Uh, so the first scene is they do the thing of they show the end credits and then you see a name and it's like, honestly, I got to stop falling for this because it was going through and then it says, you know, it's doing the names flash up. It's like, you know, Dan Aykroyd playing such and such, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then it goes, Sigourney Reaver playing Dana. I'm like, Dana wasn't in the movie. And then it just cuts to the scene immediately. Like, I fucking fell for it again. I fall for it every goddamn time. Uh, and this scene is actually a remake of... Remember in the opening of Ghostbusters when Vankman is got the two students and he keeps zapping the guy but telling the girl that she's using psychic powers? Yes. Well, it's Dana got him strapped up to the machine and she's giving him the test. And, of he, and he keeps getting them right. And they're talking about, the, like, the, oh, I can't believe you used this test on students and all this stuff. And every time he keeps getting it right, she keeps zapping him. And he's like, why do you keep doing this? Like, I know you've cheated in some capacity. You've done something. You you have the cards marked, don't you? And he's like, no. And she zaps. She's like, yes, 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 I have it marked. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then the uh, other end credit scene uh, is actually Winston talking to Annie Potts' character. Uh, and they're kind of, like, reminiscing about the old days of Ghostbusters. And this is where... Uh, Winston explains that he's funded uh, pretty much Ray uh, since the time, and he actually owns the old Ghostbusters building, so it wasn't turned into a Starbucks or anything like that. It's literally just he bought the property and has kind of left it there. And then nice. it shows him walking into this uh, location, looking around. The door opens up, the Ecto-1 drives in, and then it goes down to the basement where the ghost uh, prison network thing is, and yeah. it's kind of just a lingering shot on that as the light's flashing, and that's where it ends. Nice. So, could theoretically be setting up a... Could just be a uh, nice little ending. Yeah, I can see them definitely wanting to continue the Ghostbusters franchise. It's just the idea of where the main cast are kids. I don't feel like there's a justification on why they would be professional Ghostbusters. Yeah. I And that could also just not even be trying to set up the future one. It's just their way of saying, like, the end of it is Gozer wasn't left in that trap. Gozer and the Keymaster and Gatekeeper were just bought, brought to that uh, ghost prison thing in the Ghostbusters basement. 
and yeah, like I believe it's called saying, the Ghost Matrix. Ghost Matrix. That makes sense. Uh, and it could just be their way of saying like, yeah, this is the end of Gozer's story. They're forever trapped in here. You don't need to see anything from them ever again. And could also just be explaining why ghosts aren't a big problem in the world anymore. Until Walter Peck shows up bad. again. Well, it won't be Walter Peck. They'll uh, try and change it around a little bit. So it'll be probably like Palter Weck or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm kind of disappointed I missed those. They sound like fun times, but it is what it is. Yeah, it was just fun little nods to stuff going on. Like the one with Venkman and uh, Dana was just kind of like an homage to like the original opening of Ghostbusters. Well, yeah. outside of the the you know the library scene, which is anyways. Yeah. And then the second one was very much just you know it could be setting something up, but doesn't necessarily have to be. Of course. But yeah, I, again, I just really like this movie. Uh, it did have its problems. Most movies do. Uh, I can nitpick anything if I give it enough time. But original Ghostbusters is probably one of my favorite all-time movies. And to see this like great homage to the original, I, I really enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I felt like it was a perfect homage to the original movies. I feel like it wasn't... It They might end up trying to use it as a jumping-off point to uh, do more Ghostbusters movies. I mean, we have the ghost corpse now, so they're probably going to try and make more Ghostbuster movies, but I think this works perfectly well as a standalone film, uh, and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's one of those movies, like, uh, I, I don't really do this in movies, but like I actually had like a stupid grin on my face the whole way through the movie, because I was so excited enjoying everything I was seeing. Yeah. Uh, there is one other... Oh. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you can say your part first. I actually had a question for you. Oh, fair. So my thing was, uh, as we kind of referenced at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I the first time I went to see this movie in theaters, the power went out halfway through. Uh, not exactly halfway through. It was uh, at the scene where they first encounter Muncher. Uh, they chase him out of the building after he manages to escape. Uh, and then I got to see Finn working on the car. I saw the car Ecto-1 uh, engines rev properly once and it launched. And then immediately the screen cut to black and the movie was over. Um <laughs> And it's a two-parter. Uh, yeah, it was one of those things where I was obviously disappointed when that happened, uh, a little bit frustrated. In my mind, I didn't want to go back to the theater to pay full price to see a movie I had already seen the first half of. So my full intention was to wait for it to come out on some streaming service, or not even necessarily like Netflix or something like that, but Amazon Prime and let me just rent the movie there so I could watch it at home. Nice. Didn't happen. So I ended up having to go back in theaters to watch it in time for this podcast. Um, and like going into the theater, I was a little bit disappointed that I was going to have to watch the first half of the movie again. I didn't feel that way the moment the movie started. Even watching stuff I had already watched before, I was having a good time, chuckling at the same fucking jokes that I chuckled at the first time <laughs> through. It was one of those things where even in the worst possible circumstances for watching the movie, I still had a fantastic fucking time watching that movie. So, I think that speaks volumes about how good this movie is. Oh, definitely. Uh, so, the question I want to ask you is, uh, so, most of the original cast came back, uh, living and dead, uh, except for one. How do you feel about the fact that Rick Moranis was not in the movie?
I feel a little bad because Lewis was a fantastic fucking character, and like, well, he's also the fifth Ghostbuster. Uh, yeah, uh, so it's a little bit weird. But then again, this one, this movie felt like it was a follow up, like not a sequel, obviously, but it felt like it was more so meant to follow up the first Ghostbusters movie. Not that it didn't address the second Ghostbusters movie at all, but like it didn't care so much about that one. It was more so a follow-up to the first one. The main villain they're fighting is the main villain from the first one. So, I I feel bad. I would have liked to have seen uh, Lewis Tuple, I think his last name was. Tully. Um, Tully, thank you. Um, I would have liked to have seen him, but I'm not... I am not, like, broken up or think they did a disservice by not. I think the movie played fine without him being included in that scene where the Ghostbusters come back together to defeat Gozer again because he wasn't a part of the Ghostbusters who was fighting Gozer the first time around. He was the key master the first time around. So Yeah, I would have liked to see like an acknowledgement or maybe even like a name drop because uh, canon-wise, he's with Janine, I believe, at the end of 2. Yes. And uh, yeah, just having that mentioned. But at the same time, they also didn't mention Dana's child at all. Yeah. Although I guess considering this is thirty two thirty-two years after the first Ghostbusters, their child would have been like a grown adult at this point and probably not even involved. Probably wanted to separate himself from them a little bit and change his name to something stupid like Gary Gruberson or something. <laughs> yeah, I have to say overall I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, uh I I had a thoroughly pleasant time. Watching it one and a half times. Do you have a question for the audience? So, uh, this question is kind of just going into like the Ghostbuster universe as a whole, but uh, what is your favorite ghost in the Ghostbusters movies? Uh, not all of them have names, but there's so many to pick from. There's Cabby Ghost, there's Slimer, obviously, there's the Titanic Ghosts. Um, so... If I didn't think about it at all, Slimer would probably go to answer because he's such a great character, uh, and the fact that they bring him back multiple times uh, throughout the series. Um, like I'm pretty sure in the animated series, Slimer is on the side of the Ghostbusters, helping them bust other ghosts. Yeah, he just lives there. Yeah. Uh, so Slimer is a great character, and he's kind of the figurehead of the series. Uh, however, the more I think about it, the more I think I have to go with the Stay Puft Man. And not the little mini ones from this movie. I mean the original massive Stay Puft Mark. <laughs> the one that breathes fire. Yeah, because that fucking scene of them all standing together, they're like, don't think about anything. And it, But he just vibed it in being like, I couldn't think of nothing, so I thought about the most peaceful thing I could think of and safest non-harmful thing. And I thought of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. So I think it's I think it has to be the massive fire-breathing avatar of Gozer, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Although I don't know if he technically counts as a ghost. I think he's a being that's a manifestation of destruction, so he might not technically be a ghost. So Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's using the ghost energy, but it's not itself a ghost, but I'll accept it. Uh, if if our audience is unwilling to accept it, then I'm going back to my default answer of a slime. Uh, but so, if they're willing to accept it, it's absolutely uh, So the one I like, I already mentioned, and it's Cabby Ghost from the first movie. That's fair. When they get in the cab and ask to drive, and then fucking leans over the 
uh, shoulder and it's a fucking ghost in the fucking driver's seat. Yeah, and it just fucking peels out of the parking space and is driving wildly. It's a short moment, yeah. but I, I always laugh when I see that part of the guy. It's like, hey, can you take me to such and such? And the, the, the ghost just looks back to him and it just peels out of the driveway. Yeah. Uh, Slimer from Ghostbusters 2 driving the bus gets a, a nod, though. So you just like ghosts that uh, drive automobiles. I like uh, the ghost that's nonchalantly trying to do its job when all hell is breaking loose. That's fair. So let's take a look at our question from our last episode to see if we had any answer to that. So this one was uh, for Arcane, and that was, if you uh, played League of Legends, which character would you like to see show up in the second season? And if you did not, what did you think of the series as a whole, being no experience from League of Legends itself? Did we get answers? Uh, so we do have one answer. Let me just pull it up real quick. And this one was from Hannah J underscore 13, and that is the Mothman. And for, if anyone correctly guessed this episode, let's take a look here and see what we got. And there were no correct guesses for this episode. That is unfortunate to hear. Better luck next time, fans. So, do you have any recommendations for people listening for uh, other things to check out? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my recommendation for things for people to check out... Um, a little bit of a meme, uh, because you know how I feel about this particular actor. But if you are a fan of Finn Wolf, unlike me, um, I don't know why I say that. He seems like a perfectly normal person, but also fuck him, because this is what I've decided I is the hill I die on. on you just podcast. hate all Finns. Yep. Uh, so if uh, if you are a fan of him in this movie, and also you're just a fan of the movie and all the kind of references and shit like that i recommend checking out uh stranger things Netflix. uh i don't know if they're still making new seasons of that they yeah the new be. season's gonna be coming out soon okay then check out the new season when it comes out um but yeah it's a uh, it's more horror than this is there's less comedy but it's still a good time and lots of references to life in the 80s and being a child who plays D. &D. yeah but, also uh... not ghosts but monsters it's a good time. Check it out. Yeah, uh, mid-2022 is when Season 4 is going to launch. Okay. Jesus. COVID really fucked over that show, I guess. Because yeah, the last uh, one was, like, 2018. Well, I also believe it was supposed to come out in, the, like, this period right now, the holiday season. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my recommendation, though, is still going to be in the Ghostbusters universe, and I probably recommended this before, but the Ghostbusters video game, which is been credited as being Ghostbusters 3 and pretty much what we're going to get. Uh, I am 90% sure you have recommended it before, but at this point that's not the end of the world. I have absolutely recommended things multiple times as I just wasn't sure or not. Yeah, it, uh -huh. It's a great game, continues the story very well. Uh, it's got some things you have to dis like disregard considering this movie, like Nameless Ghostbuster number 5 or 6, I guess, if you want to count uh, Rick Moranis' character as being the 5th. Yeah. Also, Evo Shandor is in that game now, uh, so that's kind of a weird one to explain. Although it is the ghost of Evo Shandor, which is possessing Walter Peck, and the physical body of Evo Shandor is in this one. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole thing. So there are some things that don't 
technically line up with canon, but yes, I remember reading an interview where they said they wanted to make Ghostbusters 3, but they just realized it was unfeasible. And so the story of Ghostbusters 3 was being told via the Ghostbusters video game. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd even said, like, that's Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. Yeah, with that, that wraps up this episode. So if you do want to reach out, comment, or anything along those lines, you can reach us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. We have also have the Instagram page and the YouTube where we have updates on a regular basis. Uh, but make sure to reach out if you have any questions, make some guesses if you see them, or even uh, send in some suggestions for episodes you'd like to hear. Yeah, February and- is coming back up. So uh, if you have something you want us to talk about, now's the time to get your uh, recommendations in. Uh, and as always, uh, make sure to tune in in a fortnight when we'll be reviewing. Uh, what does that happen to be next time, Peter? Uh, make sure you tune in in a fortnight where we're discussing a case of mistaken identity where the identity wasn't actually mistaken. We just really want people to us. Seems like some sort of variant. Yeah. <laughs>